Welcome back to Held and Healed. I am so excited this morning to be able to introduce you to an amazing warrior, Kate, for the safety of all within the realms of church, specifically regarding sexual abuse. So I first was introduced to Jimmy Hinton during my time with Give Her Wings Academy, and I was so relieved to find a pastor who actually was willing to talk about abuse and do something about it. So we're going to explore his story a little bit this morning and then share some resources that he has made available, as well as talking about the ins and the outs of what the Word of God says about abuse. So welcome, Jimmy. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. I know that you're a very busy man and that you receive probably request like this often. So I feel honored that you are doing this. And I have officially listened to every single podcast episode that you and your mother have recorded. So that's pretty impressive. That's a lot of hours of podcasts. I am definitely a fan of the Hinton family. So why don't you just begin by telling us a little bit of why in the world would you ever want to take on this topic and this battle? Why is this important to you? Yeah, I think um, most, if not all, advocates have some sort of personal connection uh, because abuse is not something that people want to just take up and start talking about, you know, just for just for the fun of it, because it's not a fun topic. Um, And, you know, my story began when my youngest sister at the age of 20 disclosed to me that she had been sexually abused by our father uh, whenever she was a young child. And so I talked to my mom and the two of us, I mean, immediately decided that we needed to report. Um, so we reported it to our local police department and that ended up resulting in a, in his confession of 23 victims, um, all prepubescent. And he was abusing them up to the time of his arrest. Um, he got arrested. Uh, they found loads of evidence. Um, there was evidence on his computer, on his phone, Uh, He was producing uh, images and videos, explicit images and videos with his victims. Um, And then almost a year later, uh, and that was in 2012, he was sentenced to 30 to 60 years. Um, So he will die in state prison. Wow. Um, Wow. And what, what makes your situation a little bit more unique? What was his profession? uh, He was a pastor. A pastor. And he's the reason that I went into ministry. So we, you know, we were incredibly close. Uh, Mm -hmm. We were very good friends. Uh, I had a very normal upbringing. I talk about that in my book, The Devil Inside. You know, I wanted to give people a a picture into life as a child when we didn't know that he was an abuser because it was very normal. It was a very normal upbringing. Hmm. You idolized him. He was your, he was your best friend. He was your pastor. He was your father. And then in 2012, like this reality hit what was that like can you even find words to express what those first like 48 hours were like for you no because it's i mean there are just so many emotions that that come to mind um i mean quickly and so many memories and it was and trying to figure out and make sense of uh, you know the information that we had just been given uh, none of it made sense and, and there's no way for it to make sense because a normal person can't fathom um, abusing an innocent child in the worst possible inhumane way that there is on the face of the planet earth. 
So you, you can't make sense of it. And I didn't even try um, because that wasn't my job. You know, I knew right away my job was, was to find some kind of closure for, for my sister and to stop my father from abusing victims. Right, um, right. That was my goal. And, and it, you know, I figured all the sorting out and trying to figure out um, the identity crisis that I was, that I was facing, the spiritual crisis that I was facing, all that stuff would play out later. Um, and, and I knew I would have time to sort that out. But in that moment, that, that wasn't my place. It wasn't my job. Um, mm. It wasn't my job to question whether the allegations might be true, could be true, um, should be true. It, none of that mattered. What mattered was there were facts that were laid at my feet and I had to do something about that. So I, I think that's what I respect the most about you and your mother. As you know, I have known of similar situations. I'm not going to say I've ever heard of a situation quite this just heartbreaking, but where churches will take it to the elders or the board or whatever, but you all went straight to the authorities. And is that, yeah. is that what you would do if you had it to do all over again? Absolutely. Yeah. Without a question. Yeah. And I think that's the message that I really hope anybody who's listening to this, that finds themselves in a place of leadership and authority, like it's not your job to do the police's job. Like, that is their job. That's what they're trained to do. You hand that over to them and let them work it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I just, I can't imagine like the, like the conflict that was going on inside of you. And yet you did what was right anyway. I, I admire that about your family and I know your sister. Wow. What that must have said to your sister. Yeah. Yeah. And she, you know, I always tell people when, when victims of any kind of abuse tell you that they've been abused, mm. that they're not telling you just to get it off their chest because they don't want to talk about it. It's not right. something that, you know, with, with all the shame and all the, uh, everything else, all the mixed emotions and pain and all that stuff that they're trying to process, they're not telling you for the sake of, of using words and just getting it off their chest. You know, 99% of the time they're telling people because they want some sort of action. They want validation. They want some kind of action. Uh, they may not know what that action is, but they but but they're coming and telling you for a purpose. Right. And I didn't want to waste that opportunity uh, to do what was right. Right. And I speak with so many people who, when they come forward to family or to churches, they are shamed. They are blamed. They are told they cannot speak of it. And yeah. so many churches cover up and hide this and that has to stop. It has to stop. Yeah. It has yeah. to stop because people are leaving churches in droves because of the lack of care for survivors. And I, I hear, I hear statistics like one in every four women are experiencing domestic violence. And I'm like, I think honestly in churches, that number is alarmingly higher. Yeah. I think a lot I of the patriarchy and misogyny of the culture of conservative churches, I think it breeds this abusive thing. So I think it would be really realistic to say, and you, you tell me what you think that probably 50 to 75% of women are experiencing some type of domestic violence, like yeah. be verbal, emotional. Like I think it's staggeringly yeah. high in the church. And so I well, look at, look at the, I mean, along those lines, look at the spiritual abuse, the verbal yes, spiritual yes, abuse. Exactly. Of Exactly. These pastors, not just pastors, but but men in general, yes, talking absolutely. down to women, berating them, um, yeah. shaming them. Yes. Uh, yes. 
it, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's rampant in the church. Yes, I, I agree. And so when I hear this one in four, I'm like, nope, 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 nope. That's not, that's not even. And so it just blesses my heart when a man and a pastor stands up against any form of abuse, any form of evil. Um, it is one thing when a woman says enough is enough, you know, I'm trying to protect my sisters. But when a man says enough is enough, that's when I believe things begin to shift because you're saying, you're saying that as a person who is a pastor, as a man, as a father, as a husband. Um, so, yeah. so what I would love to have you explore with us, um, I have been so blessed and validated and experienced deep healing as I have heard you talk about what the word of God says about abusers and wolves. And then yeah. you, you also have on your podcast, I'm just going to mention this. And then at a later date, hopefully we can do another um, interview together. You sure. have episodes 33 through 37 of your podcast. You have a series where you talk about forgiveness. And I was so blown away because those were things I was beginning to question several years ago. And I was asking different leaders, what about this? What about that? And you actually teach about forgiveness in a way that very few pastors do. So to any yeah. anybody who's listening to this, go to Jimmy's um, podcast. I'll put it in the show notes. And episodes 33 through 37 are incredible. And they will really get the wheels spinning in your mind about all the things we've heard and been taught about forgiveness that don't even have biblical sound, you know, foundations. But for right. today, for today, let's talk a little bit about what says about abusers and how Jesus so blatantly called out the wolves. Yeah, sure. So, you know, first of all, and, and again, I, I write about this in my book. I have, I have a whole chapter on this, but uh, we have to start with the proper foundation. Uh, we have to know what God's foundation is, just like building a house or any kind of structure. Uh, if we get the foundation wrong, everything that we build on top of that no matter how solid it is, no matter what type of materials we use, no matter how good it looks, <clears throat> excuse me, over the course of time, uh, if the foundation begins to settle, if the foundation is weak, that structure will begin to crack and, and eventually it will crumble. So foundations are, are absolutely essential. And I ask the most basic question when I go and, and do trainings at a lot of places, not all the time, but um, a lot of times I'll just ask my audience, I'll say, what is God's foundation? Mm. And people will throw things out. They'll say things like love, you know, because God is love. Um, it's forgiveness. It's mercy. It's grace. And I say, no, um, God's foundation. And it's found over and over and over and over again throughout scripture. Um, but it's found, you know, one place is in Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are mm. God's foundation. Um mm. Steadfast love and faithfulness flow from it. So God's very foundation begins with righteousness. And that word in Hebrew for righteousness, it's a term that was used in the marketplace for balancing scales. Mm -hmm. So God begins with these balanced scales. He does not tip them in one direction or the other, good or bad, um, for anybody. He begins with balanced scales, and then he executes justice accordingly. So it's not based on, you know, here's what tipping the scales looks like. It's not based on your relationship that you have with somebody. Uh, Julie Royce just posted an article yesterday about uh, Margie Zacharias, Ravi Zacharias' wife, wow. who radically defended him and says, there's not a chance that he could have done all these things that these, these uh, women are accusing him of 
mm. falsely accusing him of because I know my Ravi. Mm. I know that he was a good man. Even, even though there's mounting evidence, wow. even though there was an independent, independent investigation that found all sorts of things, what she's doing is she's tipping the scales in the direction of her husband based on what she thinks she knows about him. Wow. Uh, that's tipping the scales. I didn't tip the scales with my father. Right. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. Uh, I was just trying to be as objective as possible, mm -hmm. but objectivity is righteousness. Mm -hmm. uh, pretending like you don't know the person and just looking at the facts that are in front of you, um, that is righteousness. Mm -hmm. That's beginning with balanced scales. And the opposite of that is true too, where you know, survivors experience this all the time, where the, the, the scales are tipped against them. Yes. Well, look at her colored uh, background. You yeah. know, she grew up in a broken home. She was promiscuous throughout her teenage years, on and on and on and on. She uses um, uh, substances. Uh, you know, we find all these ways to tip the scales to say, this survivor is probably making this, this up about the alleged abuser. Mm. So God begins with his foundation of righteousness and justice. And then from there, oh, all the scriptures from cover to cover begin to make more sense. Right, because Jesus was not kind to a lot of people. That's right. Um, That's right. And, and and I used to read that, and I never heard anybody explain the radical what I perceived to be inconsistencies in Jesus's behavior toward people. Mm. You know, there's um, there's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Right? She had five husbands, and he said, "The man you're with now," which implies what? She's living with the man, mm -hmm. the man you're with now is not your husband. And then Jesus reveals everything that she, that she had done. And she goes and she starts proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. I just saw the Messiah. He revealed himself to this woman at the well in Samaria, which Jewish people um, did not go into Samaria. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a huge no, no. Uh, she becomes a mouthpiece of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and all these people come back to hear what he has to say because they believed her. Yeah. Um, the, the woman caught in adultery. This was not alleged adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus did what to her accusers? He sent them packing, right? Yes, he did. Everybody left. Yeah. Uh, he scribbled some things on the ground, which I'd love to know what he wrote on the ground. <laughs> but at the end... He was left alone with just him and this woman who was caught in adultery, and, and he extends grace to her, not to her accusers. Mm. Um, that seems really odd and inconsistent unless you understand God's foundation of righteousness and justice, right? So he identifies people as wolves repeatedly throughout the scripture, and he never, never, not Jesus, not any of his disciples, None of them ever talk about, about wolves in terms of reconciliation mm. and having Bible, stud, Bible studies with them. He mm. doesn't talk about forgiveness for wolves. Mm. In fact, consistently, when people are identified as wolves, and I, I mean, a prime example is in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus um, has this long discourse about identifying wolves by the fruits that they produce. Um, the consistent message in scripture is send them away, have nothing to do with them because they're warped and they're twisted. 
And he's not describing behavior. He's not describing what they do. He's describing who they are. Who they are. Yeah. I think the light bulb went off for me when you were describing wolves and all of a sudden it came with such clarity. Jesus says, have nothing to do with wolves. The church, the church tells women and children to go home and live with them. Yeah. That is not okay. No, it's not. It's not okay. And somewhere, somehow, we have got to understand this foundation of righteousness and justice and stop coddling and enabling the abusers while we are completely blaming and shaming the victims. That has got to shift. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because when when people don't understand that foundation, they try to lump everybody together in, in this one big umbrella of sinners, right? We're all sinners. Well, yeah, we are all sinners. But there are different classifications of sinners, um, and there are different consequences that are marked out, and there are different motives that are marked out. Amen. Amen. You know, so uh, there's a radical difference, like Galatians chapter 6, 1, uh, Paul says to restore sinners gently. Um, You know, find find people who are sinners. The word that he uses is, is, is really soft term for people who get ensnared or entrapped. And they kind of get sucked in. And I think about, I live in the North, so uh, we get a lot of these wet snows in, in like spring. It's snowing right now today. Which you, you know? love. You are I do. barefoot in the snow guy. So of course I'm <laughs> going to use an analogy about you snow, love, right? You love your cold weather. You can have it. <laughs> so when, when you're driving in slush, that wet, heavy snow, it's so easy. Like when you find pockets of, of this heavy, heavy slush, uh, once your tires get into that, like if you're making a lane change, for example, and in between the tire marks where there's bare pavement, there's this wet, heavy slush. Once you get your tires into that slush, it sucks you in. And before you know it, I mean, there is nothing you can do. You start singing, you start singing the song, right? Um, Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel because, <laughs> because that slush is sucking you in. Mm. That's the sense of the term that Paul uses in Galatians 6.1. Now in other places, um, Paul, you, you would think he's radically uh, inconsistent too, unless you understand God's foundation. Um, you know, in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse thirteen, Paul says, um, "Evil people and imposters, imposters." Think about that for a minute. Um, by definition, an imposter is a wolf. It's somebody who masquerades. Mm. It's somebody who's righteous, so that they can blend in, so that. They can oppress other people and get away with it. Yep. So Paul says evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, mm-hmm. deceiving and being deceived. And then his message consistently in all of chapter three is have nothing to do with them. Avoid such people. Uh, that's the terminology that Paul uses, not extend grace to them, you know, forgive them, move on. Um, let them come into your church, right? Give them community, mm-hmm. have Bible studies with them, spend time, build relationships. That language is always absent. And so people will bring up people like Paul. Well, what about Paul? Paul was a murderer. I mean, Paul persecuted Christians. Paul was a murderer. Well, I think it's interesting because one, um, here's what Paul said in first Timothy one he says, for I received mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
That's the only reason Paul received mercy. Uh, well, and that and he repented. Mm, yeah. But he said, I received mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. That's not how abusers act. Yeah. It's not ignorance and unbelief. It's, it's willful. It's full on deception. They know exactly what they want. They're going to take it. Um, and then they're going to do it again. They're going to rinse, repeat and do it again and again and again and again. And, uh, you know, I asked people to, to imagine this notion of these covenant agreements, which I can't stand. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. That just said, never up my spine. Yeah. You assign accountability partners to these known sex offenders. Can you imagine Paul going on his missionary journeys where he couldn't be trusted enough and they had to assign a babysitter for him? Mm-mm. You realize how absurd that is? Yeah. If, if you're most- assigning a babysitter to somebody because you don't trust them enough to be in the presence of kids without molesting them and, and, and raping them, they don't belong there. And most churches do not disclose that information to the general population. It's That's just right. a couple, a couple of leaders that know, and the rest of the moms and dads there do not even know that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that is like beyond um, ludicrous to me. I, I can't even it's wrap insanity. my mind around it. It's not ludicrous. It's insanity. It is. It is insanity. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Policy so dangerous and the church leaders don't even know it because they're lumping everybody all together is oh well they're all sinners they don't even fathom the idea that that there there's a possibility of people being wolves unless you're a survivor who's crying out about your abuse and then they'll label you as a wolf and say you know you're being divisive um you're usurping the authority of the leaders um you're undermining the authority of the leaders all this bizarre stuff that that we talked about at the beginning of your show it's that's spiritual abuse yeah and stealing a candy bar and raping children are not the same thing no you know so to no, to, to sin level and say we all have sins uh yeah absolutely we do we all need jesus we all need grace we all need forgiveness but like you said earlier the consequences the ongoing ramifications the horrific tra- trauma that is placed upon the victims. It's not the same. No, it's not the same. And it's interesting too. I mean, the, the central message for churches today is forgiveness and reconciliation. The central message, both of the old Testament and of the gospel was not forgiveness. Um, the central message of the entire Bible is repentance. That theme yeah. fits with God's, uh, God's foundation of righteousness and justice, do what's right and honest and fair and treat each other with, uh, with respect, uh, take care of your neighbor, love your neighbor. Um, don't murder them. Don't steal, you know, all these things that he sets up, even the 10 commandments, like look at those. Right. And, and kind of analyze them for a minute. They're not commandments because it's a test to see whether we love God or not. Those are commandments that were designed to treat one another with dignity, honor, and respect. And when people violate dignity, honor, and respect, um, you either repent or God's going to execute swift justice. One of my favorite quotes um, from your book is on page 152. You say, in addition to our small church that meets in person, we decided to start live streaming services to specifically provide a means for the spiritual outcasts to worship and find community once again. 
Too many abuse survivors are cast out of the church because they are deemed too bitter. These are in quotes, too unforgiving, too emotional, and the list goes on. These quote unquote outcasts are beautiful souls who, in addition to being abused, lost their church community and are shunned by the very people who should have reached out with a helping hand. Many abuse survivors cannot physically step inside a church building because of the level of trauma they've experienced. Instead of receiving understanding, most of them receive insults. They're told they don't really love the church or that they are too lazy or too bitter to return. I don't look at it that way. Survivors have been badly wounded, both by their abusers and by the church. My congregation doesn't look down on them. We welcome them. Where other churches are welcoming predators and shunning victims, we are welcoming victims and shunning predators. That, like, there is the essence of who you are, who your church is, what your podcast is about, what your ministry in your life is. So what would you say right now if there happens to be a leader that would actually listen to my podcast? That would be kind Mm -hmm. of miraculous. (laughs) Yeah, it, hoping, it, it happens though. I'm yeah, we have them on our podcast. Yep, they're not there. I kind of have a reputation. Not a lot of people like me because I speak, you know, <laughs> I speak out against things that people don't want spoken out against. So if someone happened to stumble upon this right now and they find themselves in a position of leadership in a church, maybe they're an elder or a deacon or a pastor, and it's come to their knowledge that someone like your dad is in their midst, what what would you say to them? Yeah, the the first thing, um, separate them from the sheep. Mm. Um, Don't bank on their kindness. Uh, My dad was incredibly kind. He still is incredibly kind. Um, When I visit him, I, you know, I have to like shake myself and remind myself of all the horrific dehumanizing things that he did to his victims. I mean, he... He was a cruel, cruel abuser to these little children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is not as as these abusers try to describe. It's not light petting over top of the clothes. It's not uh, one mistake with one victim that they had. You know, back in the nineteen early sixties, um, it wasn't one instance of abuse. Abusers. All abusers are serial abusers. They do mm-hmm. it over and over and over again. Uh, the statistics are staggering. Wow. So do not tip the scales and bank on how well you think you know these people because I lived with my dad for 20 years of my life. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if ever there was somebody who could make the claim that I knew somebody inside and out, like the back of my hand. I spent virtually every waking hour with the man. Mm. Um, I thought I knew him, um, but it turns out I didn't. So I would just issue that warning. Um, Look at the facts. Do not tip the scales uh, for anybody. Uh, Look at the facts and dig into the records. If they have a conviction, uh, look them up. Look up the dockets. Look up the court dockets because... You know, in cases like my dad, he had uh, 200 counts of abuse. Wow. But only three of those ever saw the light of day. You would never know that if you didn't look at the court docket. As part of the plea deal, he waived, uh, the judge waived 197 charges of my dad's. A lot of those were felonies. There were a lot of misdemeanors, but a lot of those were felonies. 
Wow. Uh, you would never know that if you didn't look at the court docket itself. Oh, wow. That, that is very important to dig deeper. Yeah. Wow. And then what if someone is coming forward, a child or um, a member of the church and saying this is happening? What, what is the first thing you would say to do? Yeah, report. I mean, yeah. if, the, if, the, if the child is under the age of 18, um, just assume that you're a mandated reporter and you have to report it. Yeah. Um, if you're not a mandated reporter, there's, there's still some states that have uh, old laws that uh, don't require clergy uh, or staff, any kind of staff to be mandated reporters. It's rare, uh, but I think those states still do exist. But you're also what's called a permissive reporter, which means you're permitted to make a report in good, in good faith. Do it. Don't hesitate. Report, report, report. It's not your job to find out if the allegations are true. It's not your job to find out the credibility of the alleged victim. It's not your job to pull the alleged abuser aside and say, did you really do this? I, I would strongly recommend that you don't do that. Report it to the police. Preach, 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 preach. So do you go around and train? I know with COVID and everything, are you, are you still doing some training for churches and police forces and different things? Um, is that something you I, do? I do. Yeah. Okay. So that has slowed way down because of COVID. Yeah. And yeah. I'm in the process of um, shifting trainings online. Okay. Um, but yes, I, I do. Uh, I do keynote talks. Uh, I do full day trainings. I do them for churches, schools, police departments, the military, um, you name it. Yeah. And, I've done it. and where can we find you? What are the best places to find your resources? Uh, very easiest place. Keep it simple. Just my name, Jimmy Hinton.org. And it's all there. It's all there. The podcast is there and in multiple locations, your book information's there. Um, yep. Contact you information, find you on Facebook, you're everywhere and you are reaching so many people. And I personally know many who have been ministered to by your ministry, especially within the conservative Mennonite communities. And yeah, yeah, because you live there in PA and you're, you're around a lot of people that are coming out of that. And yep. just what you're doing is valuable. I say God is raising up this powerful, mighty army of warriors advocates, pastors, authors, people who are ready to do the, the long haul work. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. but you're, you're ready to just say, I will not rest until justice is served for the people that I love and I care about. And God is going to pour out supernatural strength on anyone that's called to this battle. I believe that we have to, yes. we have to take care of ourselves. We have to have boundaries. We have to know our limitations, but I just am in awe absolute awe of the community of people that he has given to me and you and your mother. And I hope at some point I get to meet your beautiful wife and the rest of your family. I said about a year ago, I want to be adopted into the Hinton family. <laughs> I just, I, I well, we're, you we're a large family. So, <laughs> and so you wouldn't even have notice one more, would you? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So blessings to you and thank you for everything you do. I will continue to send people your direction. Thank you, Heather. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes. And for those of you who are listening, if you need more resources, I will put in the show notes how to find Jimmy. Also, women, you are welcome to join us at Held and Healed, Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. That's a Facebook group where I share resources just like this resource and many others. 
And if you'd like to find me and reach out to me with questions or comments, just heather-elizabeth.com and uh, join us again next time on Held and Healed. Blessings. Thank you.